And you can turn to Romans 15. We'll start reading in verse 16. Romans 15, we'll start reading in verse 16. And while you're turning to your Bible, the Pew Bibles, if you don't have your own, uh, I was just thinking about how when we engage in worship and singing like this, we're actually joining in to that worship that's going on right now in heaven. As the angels fly around singing holy, holy, holy. We're engaging in that worship. So reading from the holy, inspired, infallible Word of God. That I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God. That the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I have therefore, whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. Through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you, But now having no more place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. But now I go into Jerusalem to minister unto the saints, for it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia, to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. When therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. And I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come and the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. That's the title of this message. The fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. That's the key verse in this chapter, I think. And he goes on and says, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea. And that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints. That I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So let us pray. Father, we come before you this day so grateful that you have communicated to your people throughout time. And that you have 
inscribed that communication in a book and you have preserved those words and you've given them to us in our own language that we might be able to read your inspired writings and to be able to see how you have worked in history and time and are still working to this day. I pray, Lord, you would bless your word this day. Bless us to be stirred up and to understand, to be separated so that we might be obedient by word and deed. In Christ's name, amen. So the fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Christ. The fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. So sit down and let me tell you a story. It's an old, old story. It's a story that spans thousands of years. It's a story that's filled with drama and intrigue and mystery. It's a story that's filled with tragedy and betrayal and murder. It's a story that's filled with perfect planning, perfect coordination, and perfect fulfillment. It's a story that has a perfect protagonist and a wicked antagonist, a hero and a villain, a revealer and a deceiver. A story filled with power and wonder and joy and pleasure and agony and despair. A story that climaxed 2,000 years ago. And yet, to this day, is becoming more and more wonderful and glorious. In some ways, it is the true never-ending story. One that has no end, but will continue on into eternity. And it's a story that brings the fullness of the blessing of the gospel to some. And to some, everlasting tragedy. This is the gospel story. Gospel, good news. The good news. And Jesus is the gospel. You cannot separate the gospel from Jesus Christ. It's about the Redeemer, the one and only. Your only hope, humanity's only hope. And some will believe this gospel into salvation and others will reject it to damnation. Paul's entire life and writings are focused on this gospel, this Christ. That's how he began this letter. He started opening up this letter to us. He said, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. And then he 
quickly outlines what that gospel is right there. He said this is what has been promised from the prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning His Son, Jesus Christ. Our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power. How? According to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. And this gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. This entire letter is teaching you about the fullness of the blessing of the gospel. Everything he's been teaching us about doctrine throughout this chapter, about the truth, about our condition, and that all of humanity is in the same boat, and that the only hope is justification by faith, the gift of faith, the gift of grace, the gift of salvation. And here in chapter 15, he's been teaching us about this fullness of the gospel and how that works its way out in our community and in our life and how that we receive each other. Three times he says, uh, mentions the gospel here in chapter 15. He says in verse 16 that we just read, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles ministering the gospel of God that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. And in verse 19, through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And in verse 20, Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. And then again in verse 29, the fullness of the blessings of the gospel. And the end of that, as that fullness of that blessing comes upon you, is so that we as witnesses of resurrection in our lives and witnesses of His resurrection, that with one mouth and one mind you may glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in the last verses, we are talk, looking at how Paul is wrapping up this Roman letter. How he has completed his mission to fully preach the gospel 1,500 miles out from Jerusalem. His purpose was to, build, to lay where no man had ever laid another foundation and that he had done that. And then we today will pick up in verse 23 and we'll try to finish out this chapter today. So today we will see how that this gospel in its fullness in the second part of this chapter here is fulfilled and how he plans, how he takes care of the poor, and how he is instructing us to pray. So planning, the poor, and the prayers. So when you are filled with the fullness of the blessing of the gospel, you will plan and give and pray with a singular passion for the glory of Christ. So first let us see the fullness of the blessing of the gospel and how Paul planned. 
picking up in verse, in verse 22. Uh, For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you. So this is finishing up that last section where he's saying the reason why that uh, he's been hindered from going to see them. He said he wanted to see them in chapter 1. He says, I want to come see you Roman Christians here. He says, it's because I've been hindered here. And the gospel will always be hindered, right? And then he goes on and says in verse 23, But now having no more place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, So he's got no more place in these parts. He'd finished the work. He'd fully preached the gospel. And as we go through these verses, you're going to see how Paul is sharing his heart with you in his planning. I have a great desire here. So he shows his desire in the middle of his planning. He's showing that this gospel, everything that he plans revolves around the gospel, around Jesus Christ. Is that how you plan? Do you plan like that? Where the gospel, Jesus Christ, is the center of all your planning. There is no sacred, secular divide. And all of our planning as believers, at business, at work, here, wherever we are, a singular focus like Paul, we plan it around the Great Commission. How can I further? The, how can I glorify the name of Christ in my planning, wherever it is? Most of our planning that we do, a lot of times in our family, we do it husband and wife plan together. We share our hearts together, and we come and we talk about that, and we pray over that, and we say, how can how can the way we plan in our family, our schedule, our finances, everything? How can we do that? around the fullness of the blessing of the gospel so we can help spread these blessings out. That we can continue to be a part of this. Uh, in Psalms 27, 13-14, I was thinking about this. So we plan here in this world because like the psalmist, he says, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So we plan Because we hope to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, in our life. And then that psalmist says in the next verse, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. In our planning, we plan, and then we wait on the Lord. We pray over our plans. Paul is asking for prayers here over his plans in the second part of this chapter 15. And we also have to pray, plan, wait, and expect we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. This week I was talking to Dana Beck who works with Cindy and uh, she told me about a long-term prayer she had had where she'd been praying that she could uh, move her work where she could be closer to her family. She drives about 45 minutes over here to McDonough and she's got a special needs child. And after a long time of praying and patient waiting on the Lord, he answered that prayer. So now she's going to get to move her business over with a lady that she's known for years who also has a special needs child, and it's right across the street from her house. And she just prays in God. 
saying, hey, man, he, I, I waited a long time for this. I prayed it. I left it in his lap. And God answered that prayer in her planning of thinking about the future. I thought, that's, what a great testimony. And the way she was rejoicing in it was so wonderful to see. Here Paul, having fully preached the gospel where Christ had not been named and establishing churches, and he was ordaining elders in these churches, he was ready to move on now, and he's sharing his heart and his plans with us. He's saying that whensoever I take my journey into Spain. So here we see Paul's long-term plan. Paul wants to go to Spain with the gospel. Paul is ambitious. He said, all right, I've gone out 1,500 miles. Let's take another 1,500. Let's push it on out. And he said, whenever I do that, I'm going to come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey and be brought on my way thitherward by you. At first, I might be somewhat filled with your company. So he's going to Spain, visit the church there. And uh, this glorious gospel is at the center of his planning and all of his trips. I never read, by the way, that Paul planned a vacation. Isn't that interesting? I think he was so full of joy in what he was doing, he said, I am on vacation. This is great what I get to do. He trusted to see these saints along the way in this long-term plan. And I think there's some wisdom in we see that Paul is taking this long-term trip and he's planning, where am I going to worship along the way? Where am I going to go where I can be filled with the company and the fellowship of some saints? Because I know I'm going to need to be strengthened on my trip. I know that I need to be in the house of worship on Sunday and the fellowship of the saints because that's where I get my strength. We go from strength to strength. We're needy creatures. We need that reviving every week. There's a psalm in Psalms 84, 5 through 7, where it says, How blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart are the highways to Zion. In God's heart are the highways to Zion. And all of our paths that we take in this life, we're headed towards Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem. And the center of all of our paths is this blessed gospel, this blessed Christ. And he goes on there in that psalm and says, Passing through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The early rain also wraps it up with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Each one of them appears before God and Zion. This Baca, as I understand it, was a barren valley. And uh, there was a time whenever Israel was in a barren valley and they had no water to drink. And one day the prophet told them, he said, you're going to wake up tomorrow, the whole valley is going to be filled with water. And they they didn't think that was possible. But even as you go through this dry, barren valley of life, brothers and sisters, God is going to provide pools of water for you to go strength to strength. And as you go on this journey, plan. Plan where you will worship. Make the gospel central to your planning, even where you live. I've moved several times in jobs, and I'll tell you one time, I mean, I, I, I tried to make a good decision about where to live, but we ended up being a long way away from a place of worship. 
And uh, when I came here, I was like, I'm going to get as close as I can to the church and live by the church. When you take vacations, do you plan where you're going to worship when you go on a vacation? You're going to plan where you're going to eat. You're going to plan where you're going to stay. If you're going to be gone over a, a, a Sunday, plan where you're going to worship. Paul is planning here on this journey to Spain where he's going to stop and worship to be comforted, to be strengthened. He's making the full blessing of the gospel the center of his planning. Isn't that great? Isn't that a great example for us? And so as we do our planning, as we plan our finances, our time, our schedule, all of these things, we do it with the gospel at the center, Jesus Christ at the center, so that we might receive the fullness of this blessing. So Paul had a Long-term and a short-term plan. We'll see that short-term plan in just a minute. I got a quote from an old Baptist pastor, Octavius Winslow. In proportion to how you deal with Christ, individually traveling to Him, dealing as personally with Him as He deals personally with you, He will insinuate Himself in your regard And He will become growingly precious to your soul. Do you do that in your planning? Do you say, Lord, it's your money. How do you want me to spend it? You pray over it. And you say, Lord, give me the wisdom. And you make choices and decisions. Do you have that kind of intimacy that brings Him into your kitchen table when you do your planning? Or even at work as you're planning. If you're a leader of men or you're a leader of women in Bible studies and groups, how do you plan? How do you think about that? Jim Elliott had this prayer that I wrote in the front of my Bible. He said, Lord God and Father, I call upon you to enter into all the avenues of my life today and to share every detail of it with me, even as you have called me to share with you your life and all the wonders of it as I am to share the destiny, glory, and future affairs of thy son, so would I now have him share this small destiny of earth, which is mine. The joys of it, all its small matters, that we should be one, you and I. Isn't that a great prayer? God, come into my life this week. Be a part of all my planning. Be a part of everything that planning in my long-term planning and my short-term planning. Let the gospel, this glorious gospel, be the center of my life. What a privilege and joy you have as a believer to walk with Him in that kind of intimacy. To have Him sitting with us. There's so much effort is put into planning, isn't it? Businesses take weekend retreats. They spend a lot of money on planning. They take a lot of efforts to plan, and they're only planning for the next year, really. And what are we planning for? Forever. We got a great long term plan. So, what a joy and privilege it is as we walk life's highway to have Him with us, in fellowship with us, being part of His story 
as He is part of ours. Your life is being woven into a story, this glorious story that I told you about. You're part of that. How many games are there where kids actually play these game, role-playing games where they become part of the story? You're part of a story, a great story. You're being invited into a story, and this story matters. It has gravity and weight, and what we do in this life and in this story matters because of who He is and what He did for us and how He equips us to be able to walk according to the Spirit and not after the flesh. So Paul now moves in verse 25 to tell us about his immediate plans, his short-term plans. He says, But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. But now. Immediate. There was a urgency here. There's a crisis with the church in Jerusalem. So he placed his desire to go to Rome aside, short term, to take care of what was more needful. I think there's wisdom in us in looking at that. There's times we're going to have a great desire to do something, but we're going to have to set that aside to do something that's more needful. Your plans are going to get interrupted sometimes. Right? The purpose of the interruption is the giving to the poor. And that is why he's going to delay. And actually, this is going to also further the fullness of the blessing of the gospel as he goes to take this offering to Jerusalem. So are your plans flexible? Are your plans flexible whenever things get erupted? You know that uh, the more we invite Christ into our planning in an intimate acknowledging Him as a sovereign God over every detail of our life. And the more we come to that realization and cherish that, the more aligned our plans will be with His. And any time our plans get interrupted, we're going to say, thank you God for interrupting my plans with a better plan than I had. Isn't that great? And we can have that kind of an attitude so that we don't say, you know, get frustrated when things don't go the way we want them to. Do you ever get frustrated when things don't go the way you want them to? (laughs) Ouch, right? So like Vody says, if you can't say amen, you can say ouch. So he's going to take care of the poor. So our first point was planning. Second point is poor. How's he going? For it, in verse 26, For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. So the economy of that time (coughs) flowed to Rome. There was oppressive taxation in Jerusalem. We read of that, right? The tax collectors. The saints in Jerusalem are poor and in need. May have been a drought or some other condition taking place. 
We also know that today, if a Jew becomes a believer, what happens? They're cast out of their family. Probably some Jews being kicked out of their families amongst the church where Peter is leading the Jewish converts. And there are some that are probably being kicked out of long line family businesses for being believers. I mean, we see that happening today. I expect that probably was happening then. So you've got a crisis amongst those who are coming to faith in Christ where they're giving up everything like Paul did. And they're like Paul saying, that's rubbish. I got something better now. And so they're poor and Paul is coming with an offering from the Gentiles. I read this week in the paper that there was a man in Australia that had become the president of a soccer club in Australia and he, and he, was, kicked, he was fired because he's a Christian. Because his doctrine and belief does not line up with the wickedness of the sexual perversion movement. That might happen to you someday. Because you believe in the truth. Because you would rather believe a man that predicted his death, burial, and resurrection and then actually raised from the dead and had hundreds of witnesses. You'd rather believe his word over the word of this age. So these Macedonian Christians, it hath pleased them. This is repeated in verse 17. It hath pleased them verily. So they are pleased to be able to give this money to help the poor. And this is the fullness of the blessing of the gospel. When it comes, it's going to make you the same way. That you will be delighted to give. It will give you pleasure to give to help the poor. It also has the idea of doing it willingly. There's no compulsion here. We don't tax y'all for the church here. When y'all give to this church, you give with pleasure and willingly. It hath pleased them verily. He says there in verse 27, And their debtors they are, for if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. When therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come to you by Spain. So their debtors they are. It is right that they should give money because they've received spiritual blessings. This is the same principle in uh, 1 Timothy 5-7 where it says if you're receiving spiritual blessings from a pastor, you don't muzzle the mouth of an ox, they get to eat from their labors. And so in a bigger way here, Salvation is of the Jews. Jesus Christ was a Jew. And we have salvation that comes through the scriptures that were preserved and written and God used them to bring salvation to the Gentiles. And Paul, speaking of all those prophecies that he quoted here in chapter 15, is fulfilling those prophecies. And if you're a believer as a Gentile today, you are part of the fulfillment of those prophecies that the Gentiles would come to believe and trust in this Christ. And so we give. We continue to give to this mission of the gospel that the fullness of the blessing 
of the gospel would continue to spread amongst Gentiles and all the way back to Jerusalem. All the way back to Jerusalem. So his short-term plan was to go to Jerusalem to perform this ministry. And that word ministry is really the word for deacon. It's an act of a deacon. And I think even there we can learn that Paul, as a pastor and evangelist, was performing the work of a deacon. And so deacons set the example on how to serve, and we follow their example. And here that ministry is a ministry of giving to the poor. And it's here called a fruit. And so the fruit of the, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is that you would give with joy. That you would give with joy. Look how the Macedonians gave that he mentions here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So if you'll turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, this is just a, an amazing example of joyful giving that we have here. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Moreover, brethren... We do you to wit the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. So here's the formula for great giving. You got to have a trial. You got to have deep poverty. And that translates into joy and liberal giving. That's kind of the opposite, the way we'd look at it, wouldn't it? You're in a trial and you're in deep poverty. Are you going to give? They gave in deep poverty. Let's go on and read there in verse 3. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves. They gave above and beyond. They gave their lunch money. They had such faith and they were so filled with joy and wanting to help out. They said, I'm going to take you know, half my grocery budget and I'm going to send it to help them and I'll figure out how to make that up. I know Lord, the Lord will help me make that up. What great faith to sacrifice and to give like that. Going on in verse 4, praying us with much entreating. So they were beseeching Paul with much entreaty that they would receive them. Take this money, please. Let us take part in this joy of giving, in this grace of giving. And take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves and to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So to engage in this kind of giving, you have to first have given yourself entirely to the Lord. And then to each other. And from that, you will give to the cause of Christ and the gospel. And he goes on there. And says, insomuch, in verse 6, insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. It's called a grace here, this giving of the offering. In verse 7, therefore as you abound 
in everything in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. So as you abound in faith, as you are increasing and growing spiritually, you should be also growing in the grace of giving and setting goals and saying, Lord, I want to increase my giving. Maybe I'm going to give it 1% next year. I'm going to give 1% more than I'm giving this year. And then in the face of trial and even poverty, these people gave above and beyond. And then in verse 8, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. When you give money to the cause of Christ and to help the poor, you are proving the sincerity of your love to Christ. How are you doing with that? How are you doing with that? So we see here the Macedonians in trial. They had joy. They had poverty. They had liberality. And it was a fruit of grace that was sealed to them. You're born. You live. You die. And everything you do in this life proves your sonship, your love of Christ, or your love of self, or your selfishness. And how you use your money proves whether you love Christ or not. So I would just say to you, don't waste your life in pursuing the puny American dream of being rich if pursuing is not subjection to the glory of the gospel of Christ. You can pursue success in the world with gospel at its center and giving. And that's a dream worth dreaming, right? And strategizing about and planning is, God, I want to be successful in this business. I, want, I do want to advance and I want to do it all for your glory so that I might be able to have more to give to help the poor. Galatians 2.10 he, Here's some cross-references that talk about this giving to the poor, this grace. I'm just going to let you have them one by one here. Verse Galatians 2.10 only, only they would that we should remember the poor. So this was after Paul goes to Jerusalem and they have the conference about circumcision and uh, he comes back and says uh, that at the end of it, those that were Jerusalem said that they should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. 1 Corinthians 16.1 Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do you. There's an order for us today. We continue to do the collection for the saints, for the poor. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7. Listen to this, Americans. But this I say, He which sows sparingly shall reap sparingly. And he which sows bountifully shall reap also bountifully. And I don't think that, that means you're going to get richer if you give more. But I think your soul is going to reap benefits. And it might be He gives you more too. 
But I think the real blessing here is you're going to reap bountifully and joy in that pleasing giving. And it does say there in that 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 7, everyone according as they purpose in their heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. We don't want anybody to ever give grudgingly and never to be seen of men. Ananias and Sapphira, the warning given to us in Acts, they were giving and to be seen of men and God struck them dead. Hebrews 13, 16. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. To communicate there is to give. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Do we give to the point of sacrifice? Have we given sacrificially? James 2, 15 and 16. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, Notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needful to the body. What does it profit? You see, there's profit in giving to the poor. This is the fullness of the blessing of the gospel comes joyful giving. That's part of the fruits, if that be a part of your life. How are you planning your budget? How are you planning your giving? How you spend your money proves your faith. The more you give to the cause, the more joy and blessing you will experience in your soul. I think the more your faith will grow and the more God will relieve you from your idolatry of money and wealth. Luke 16, 11. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use, the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? And the true riches are heavenly tr- riches and treasures. And so we've been given this money to spend. And there is a responsibility we have to be good stewards of what God has given us. And there is the teaching there that that to the degree that we have been good stewards with what we have in this life, we will also receive responsibility to steward treasures in the next life. You cannot serve God and mammon, right? You can't. It's impossible for you to serve God and money. Money has a magnetic effect and uh, it's dangerous. We know that, right? The love of money is the root of all evil. Money is not evil. The love of money is. And it's dangerous to have money because of your heart. That word mammon means wealth personified as an object of worship. You cannot serve God and mammon. So the fullness of the blessing of the gospel is that it frees you from the soul-damning love of money and wealth. Isn't that great? That He frees us from that? So we as wealthy Americans who have more than most of the population of the earth, 
can use that to serve the cause of the gospel. And we are doing that here. And we will continue to do that. And I hope the Lord stirs your heart. We, I was listening to Elder Conrado from the Philippines. They're building a church there, a $300,000 church in a country that's probably got 20, 10, 20% of the resources that we have here. And wouldn't it be great? I'm thinking, how, how can I give some money to that? I, I want to be part of that. I do. I want to be part of that. And then we got Elder Guna coming here. And when we come and we have these people come here, what a joy to come here. They're planning like Paul's planning and how they're going to further the blessings of the gospel of Christ in their lands. So Paul is sharing his heart, sharing his plans. He's also inspiring us to give as we read this letter. As we read these Macedonians and how they gave, I'm thinking, oh, that, that's great, that it's inspiring. I want to be like that. He's sharing his heart and his plans. And in verse 29, he says, And I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. And I think you can circle verse 29. I think that fullness of the blessing is a key verse here. And so Paul now moves to ask for prayers for his plans and for his giving, for his ministry, for the gospel success. In verse 30, and this will be the third point, prayer. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. So when our lives are laid down to Him and each other, we will plan, we will give, and we will pray for the success of the gospel in the world. For it is for the cause of Christ, it's for Christ's sake. He says here, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake. Do you love Christ? Do you want to see His name lifted up above this political junk? And so we lift His name up in our families and and with our children. And we strive to make sure in our families, husbands and moms, as we build strong families here and we're raising our children to make the gospel the center of their education. Because I can tell you, a party that murders its unborn, the only way they can get any voters is by proselytizing your children. And Walt Disney has become the education wing for that party to propagandize children. There's nothing more wicked than that. Oh, what a world we live in. Who'd ever thought we'd wake up and it'd be like this? And we walk a dangerous path in this life, believer, as we seek to stand for the truth of the gospel, which will always be opposed. And so he's beseeching them to pray, to strive together with me in your prayers for God. Strive together is one word. That's a compound word. Together with and to contend. So we're contending with adversaries, with difficulties, with dangers. What would await Paul when he got to Jerusalem with that offering? What what awaited Paul when he got there? Forty men 
who bound themselves with a curse, saying they would never eat or drink until they had killed him. That's what awaited Paul. And so he's praying that here, right? Pray that I might be delivered from those who don't believe. And also, he had to deal with the the believers when he got to Jerusalem. So he's playing here, he said, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted. And when he gets there, the apostles, he tells them everything that God's been doing amongst the Gentiles, and they say, that's great, Brother Paul. But you see, there's many thousands of Jews here that believe, and they've been told this about you. That you've been teaching the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. And I'll tell you, I have trouble with this part of Acts right here. I have trouble with the fact that Paul went back into the temple. Here, I don't understand it. I might someday, if I do, if you have some light on that, let me know. What is Paul doing going back in the temple? If Christ has fulfilled all that, and he understands that, but I'm going off, I'm sorry. But yet, Paul gets here, he's got to deal with unbelievers trying to kill him. He's got to deal with rumors that are being spread by him amongst believing Jews. And he's praying. In verse 31 there, help me with that. I want them to receive this offering. I want them to receive me. That I may come to you, in verse 32, by the will of God and may be refreshed with you. So there's back to his long-term plan. I go to Jerusalem, I'm going to come through Rome, on to Spain. And then he finishes this with another benediction. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So when you are filled with the fullness of the blessing of the gospel, you will plan, you will give, you will pray with a singular passion for the glory of Christ. And the question is, when our plans go awry, how do we react? Do we understand that God has a bigger plan? Paul planned to go to Spain by Jerusalem, and yet we have no record he ever made it to Spain. And he thought he was going to go to Rome and be free to just go through Rome and go on to Spain. How does he get to Rome? As a prisoner in chains. And we read there after he gets at the end of Acts that uh, whenever he's there, he's, he's got a hired house, but he is a prisoner. And we read that he continues teaching and preaching the kingdom of God concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence. It says no man forbidding him. So he got to Rome as a prisoner. And he was continuing to make the fullness of the blessing of the gospel. Even as a prisoner, the center of his life. Even when his plans changed. Isn't that a great example for us to keep pressing on? And realizing God had a bigger plan and a bigger purpose. In fact, part of the fullness of the blessing in Paul's life of the gospel was to become a prisoner for the cause of Christ. And this church that he so longed to see and had heard about, at his first answer in Rome, forsook him. 2 Timothy 4.16 At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. 
So this church that he desired to see in his first answer forsook him. And yet Paul prays. I pray God it might not be laid to their charge. He understood the intimidation of being a Christian in the day, the persecution. But it was a sin because he said, I pray it may not be laid to their charge. And of course he says, Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that of all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. So even when he was forsook, his plans went awry. The church got there. They were a faithful church. They were. And yet they forsook him at a moment of need. He still pressed on with the gospel and the cause of the gospel of Christ. And he never wavered in his goal. How about you? When the cancer comes, when the child abandons the faith and leaves the church, when the gospel comes and separates and divides families, will we continue in the truth? Or will we do like so many do? They make excuses for their family members and they change the truth. What happens when parents divorce late in life? What happens when you lose your job? What happens when plans go awry? We keep pressing on to Jesus Christ. We keep pressing on in the truth of the gospel. Christ knows our weaknesses. And He also said this. He said, when the Son of Man comes on the earth, will He yet find faith? Why did he say that? Because this is not an easy way. This is not an easy way. It's a narrow way. And all of those who are in the Spirit will stay on that narrow way. So when the trials come in your life and the tribulations, you can go to Him and you can trust Him and you can hope in Him. So trust Christ in your planning, in your prayers, in your giving. May God bless His Word.